Welcome to the Civil Engineering Podcast, the podcast focused on helping civil engineering professionals succeed by exposing them to interesting civil engineering projects and successful civil engineering professionals around the world. Hosts Anthony Fasano and Christian Knutson had successful but unconventional civil engineering careers and now focus on helping civil engineering professionals achieve their goals in work and life. Welcome to the Civil Engineering Podcast. I'm your host, Anthony Fasano, and this is the podcast specifically for civil engineers who want to succeed. In today's episode, I'm going to bring you with me to the offices of Langen Engineering and Environmental Services, where I will be spending about an hour with Dave Gockel, the CEO of Langen, which was an absolute thrill to be able to sit down with someone in Dave's position with his experience for this amount of time and then bring that information back to you. The idea behind this episode was to look at how a day in the life of a civil engineer CEO looks, which is busy, of course, but it was a lot of fun. Langen is a very fast-growing and highly reputable firm in the United States, throughout the U.S. and beyond. They do work internationally as well. My wife, Jill, actually worked there for 10 years. She's not there now, but that made it even more of a thrill for me, and I was so happy when Dave allowed me to come in and speak with him. This episode is absolutely packed with stuff that I think is valuable to CE professionals of all ages and experience levels, and I know that you'll find something in it of value to you. All right, so before we get into our civil engineering conversation of the week with Dave Gockle, CEO of Langen Engineering and Environmental Services, I want to take a moment to recognize our sponsor for today's episode, PPI. Make sure you listen up at the end of this podcast to hear my advice on a super practical way you can advance in your career. And I also have an exclusive 20% discount available from PPI only for the listeners of this podcast. So stay tuned for that. I also want to take a moment to tell you about our new engineering management accelerator workshop, which you can find at engineertomanager.com for almost 10 years now. I've been trying to figure out how to help engineers become more effective engineering managers. And I believe I finally figured out how. And it comes down to three words, intensity, focus, and accountability. And if you enroll in our Engineering Management Accelerator Workshop, you will experience all three. I'm going to tell you more about this program at the end of the show today as we are enrolling engineers right now for our next session at engineertomanager.com. All right, now I'd like to introduce our guest for today's Civil Engineering Conversation just so you get to know a little bit more about him before we dive in. With more than 36 years of experience on major real estate developments here and abroad, David Gockel specializes in complex urban and brownfield redevelopment projects, community planning and redevelopment, stadium arena development, and waterfront restoration. He has served as project manager on some of the firm's largest and most complex development projects. Under Gockel's leadership, Langen quadrupled in size from 200 people to over 1,000 since 2003. Think about that. Quadrupled in size. And we get into that in the interview that you're about to hear. Dave's received the Engineer of the Year Award from the American Society of Civil Engineers, the President's Award from the National Association of Industrial and Office Properties, NAIOP, and the Humanitarian of the Year Award from the Commercial Real Estate community. As you can see, he gets involved in a lot of different fields, doing a lot of different things. All right, so here it is without further ado, Dave Gockel, CEO of Langen Engineering and Environmental Services. Civil Engineering Podcast. Civil Engineering Podcast. 
All right, so now it's time for our civil engineering conversation of the week, and I'm thrilled to be here at the offices of Langen Engineering and Environmental Services, and I'm sitting here with Dave Gockel, the CEO, and I'm thrilled to be here for a couple reasons. One, because anytime you get to sit and talk with someone in Dave's position, it's a thrill and to be able to bring some information from Dave to you. And also my wife, Jill, this was her first engineering job. She worked at Langen for 10 years, 10 plus years. I know a lot of people here, so it's nice to get the opportunity. So, Dave, welcome to the Civil Engineering Podcast. Good to be here. All right. So, Dave, let's start off before I ask you about your career progression. For those listeners not familiar with Langen, maybe you can give them a little bit of an overview of the firm. Langen is a multidisciplined civil, environmental, and geotechnical engineering firm. We um, have grown almost exclusively organically from a firm of 36 when I joined it in 1982 to a firm of over a thousand people today with 26 offices throughout the United States and several offices abroad. We do a lot of work in the real estate space, but we also do quite a bit of work in institutional healthcare, hospitals, universities, an awful lot of work that I would characterize as environmental remediation for Fortune 500 or large companies that have environmental properties that need cleaned up, need to be cleaned up. So Dave, tell me, not necessarily about your position at CEO yet, we'll talk about that later, but give me a brief overview of your career progression, right? where you started, how you got to this point. Sure thing. Uh, it's been a little interesting, I guess, because I've been with the same firm my entire career. Sure. So what do I know? Right? <laughs> but uh, no, I started out um, as a geotechnical engineer coming out of Cal Berkeley with my master's in 1982 wound up coming to work for Langen, which was more or less a recent startup firm at the time that was predominantly a geotechnical firm. And that's all I knew and that's all I wanted to be was a geotechnical engineer. I spent five years doing nothing but pure play geotechnical engineering, working on building foundations, earth dams. You know, I can remember actually being lowered down a three-foot diameter hole that was 65-foot deep in Hartford to go yeah. inspect the bottom of a caisson that had to be drilled out and constructed. And uh, when you're 65 foot down and you look up that hole and you see these heads bobbing over the, <laughs> the daylight looking down at you, it's a weird experience. But there I was, you know, wow. uh, down in the earth. Did a lot of investigation for building foundations, wrote geotechnical reports, and fortunately was able to go out in the field and observe a lot of construction for various types of foundations, some in New York City, that real urban environment, others out in the suburbs, and um, really, really enjoyed geotechnical engineering and learned a lot about it. Before you go further, for those of you that don't know, Langen is based in New Jersey, but now they're a global company, as as Dave indicated. But at the time, Dave, I'm assuming they were only in Northeast? At the time, we were only in New Jersey. When I started, we had a New Jersey office, which is where we were headquartered, and we had a trailer in Miami. Okay. <laughs> That's a startup for you. <laughs> oh, sorry. Go ahead. So no, you, not at you all. were down the hole and you were doing pure geotech and then you started your progression. Well, I would say the geotech was a big part of my progression. And I was fortunate. I had some great mentors. I was working for, you know, the two guys who founded the firm, Bernie Langen and one of his uh, partners, Dennis Leary. So I was lucky enough to be mentored by guys that had been, you know, they were in their late 40s at the time. So you know, quite a bit of experience versus, you know, a lot of times you go to work, we work for guys who got five years experience. I was very, very fortunate in that regard. So then, you know, I watched how the firm developed and we were doing more and more 
multiple services for real estate developers. And what we saw was, or what I observed was like, wow, it's not just about geotech. You know, these guys, they like they like site civil, they like all different types of services, the clients. So I decided to sort of broaden my base just so I knew more about the various services that Langen offered and I, I could connect with the clients more. And it is funny, I mean, your first five years, you're out in the field, you interact with a lot of other people, but you're not face-to-face with clients a lot. Right. And I would say after five years, you start to become more face-to-face with clients. You have more opportunities to at meetings and whatnot. It became aware to me that I really had to broaden my base. So I, I started to learn what the site civil guys did in order to get, you know, approvals. And I don't want this to come out wrong, but <laughs> I thought geotechnical engineering was so much more difficult and so much more sophisticated than site civil. Yet, one of the things I realized is that site civil engineering was part of what developers needed to get their site plan approval from a municipality. And what that would do for them is it would take a piece of dirt that's or a piece of land that's worth, let's say it's worth a million bucks, right. and suddenly make it $5 million <laughs> right. you know, in value. That's what approvals are worth. Sure. And I found that that work was so much more tangible to the client's than the geotech. Sometimes the geotech was just so sophisticated and it was like, you know, give me the report, like going out and buying a package of batteries. Just right. g- give me the batteries. Right. I got, you know, Can't and, see and, it. And, and didn't understand how much you saved them yeah. with regard to some of the innovations that you had. I learned that a lot of our clients had a tremendous appreciation for the site civil. The other thing that happened was uh, there were some regulations that came out in the late 80s, early 90s with regard to wetlands right. and wetland regulation. We were using a lot of subs for that. And we found that we were often waiting on them. So I suggested to Bernie Langen that uh, we start up a wetland group, a natural resources group. And he said, you know, if you'd like to go ahead. So I went out and I recruited a couple of people and uh, got this whole natural resources uh, group going here at Langen, which today is a group, I don't know, 15, 25, probably 25 people all told. Wow. That was huge um, at that time. And again, it's, it's just part of anything you want to do with regard to the built environment, with regard to taking a site and building something on it. No one's running around the world trying to fill in all the wetlands, but we want to make sure that we're environmental stewards and everything we do comports with the regulations that are out there. So we need to have that expertise in-house. We've done actually environmental impact statements for some of the largest projects in the state, including MetLife Stadium, where the Jets and Giants play football. Wow. To come that far from what had been a two-person wetland group makes you feel pretty good. When you did that, I mean, that was obviously a big step to ask to implement the new department. Were you nervous about asking to do that? Or? I wasn't really at the time. <laughs> I just felt like it was so evident that we needed to do something like that in-house. Okay. So it's interesting because a lot of the, there are other stories. We're doing all the site civil engineering, and we had a lot of landscape. We had a few landscape architects, but they were functioning more as site civil engineers than landscape architects, you know, with regard to grading and whatnot. Sure. I realized that it was not a sophisticated level of landscape architecture that we were bringing our clients. So same deal. I went to Bernie and said, listen, I really want to start a landscape architecture group here with a more sophisticated level of landscape architecture. And listen, you know, you, you drove up to this building today, yeah, right? It's a beautiful I mean, it's building, beautiful building beautiful approach. I mean, you know, so I think that as civil engineers, we, at the time, we were underestimating how important not just the building is, but 
you know, the experience of people who come onto a site. So we did. I recruited a senior level landscape architect and we started a a landscape architecture group here that's grown to be about 15 people now. But we're now providing our clients with landscape architectural services on a much, much higher level than what we were bringing them, you know, years ago. I don't want to get too much into my story, but that no, I, but I that's, think that's helpful, Dave, because what I try to tell civil engineers all the time is that a lot of civil engineers want to rise to the top of their companies. And I think doing things like you just mentioned, where you bring opportunities to your firm is something that not everyone's going to do. But the people that do it, that's why I was asking you before if any of that was maybe a little bit nervous, because I think sometimes civil engineers don't have... They might have the idea that you had, but they don't have the confidence to bring it to the executive team or to their manager and say, you know, I got this idea for a new department, I don't know, drones or something. We can have a new department, but, and I'd like to work on it. Listen, the worst they can do is say no, but if I'm that person that you're coming to, I'm at least going to be appreciative that you're thinking kind of outside the box and you're thinking opportunistically because that's, in my opinion, those are the civil engineers that we need. Yeah. And I should probably even back this up a little bit because, you know, when I look at the culture that we have today at Langen and some of the things I did in my career, a lot of it was just engendered by Bernie Langen, who founded the firm. Bernie was a very driven, energetic, and very entrepreneurial individual. And he really started a firm that had a very strong entrepreneurial culture. <laughs> and I think a lot of our success back then, and I think even a lot of our success today, has to do with that entrepreneurial culture that was just part of the DNA here. So people are really sort of encouraged to uh, step outside the box, if you will. That's great. So it's obvious from, well, just from the few minutes we've spoken already and all the stuff that I've worked on with helping engineers succeed, it's obvious that you have to have some of these skills like communication, like the ability to work with people in the civil engineering world because we're always working on teams We're always working on sites with clients, with architects, other consultants. And obviously, you said, you know, after five or so years, you started getting into client meetings. What would you say are some of the challenges or the potential barriers when you try to develop those skills? I mean, as an engineer, usually you're going to start in the technical field, which you should, because we need to learn that. What do you see going forward as what prevents engineers from learning these other skills? It's a good question. I don't know. I think it varies from person to person, but I do think that sometimes engineers and sometimes engineering companies get too focused on the project and lose sight of the client. Who's the client here? I think here at Langen, we really pay close attention to both. So it's not just the technical challenge, but it's who's my client? What does he want or she want? What makes them successful? How do I help them succeed in what they're trying to do? Right. Whereas, and this is a very rudimentary example, but I think some engineers get so caught up in the technical piece of it that they never get it done. And these clients who we work for have a schedule. You know, so a big part of what we do here at Langen is we really emphasize responsiveness. Not only does it have to be right, not only does it have to be well done, not only does it have to be checked, before it goes out, but it's got to be delivered on time sure. or ahead of schedule. And that may sound rudimentary, that may sound simple, but I cannot tell you how often we win work because the clients appreciate our responsiveness. And there's a cost to that as well. If you're late a month, it could cost hundreds of thousands of dollars. 
That's big. So I guess on the flip side of that question, then I know that from speaking with some of your staff, I mentioned before I met some of them at a conference, they said that you really like to get out and meet clients yourself. If you go somewhere, you'll meet a client and talk to them. How did you develop the skills to be able to talk to people, to communicate effectively? Was there specific things you did or was it through your career just doing it? One of each. (laughs) I did a lot of things. I mean, there's no magic moment. I think that one of the things I preach to a lot of our younger engineers is, you know, to me, the most important thing is to be authentic. Be authentic. Be yourself. Yeah, you got to push yourself beyond your comfort zone sometimes. You know, if you're trying too hard to sell, you're not going right. to sell. If you're trying too hard to be somebody you're not, it's not going to work. There's no specific thing I right. can point to. I mean, I knew all that stuff was important, and I worked on it to some degree. But I think a lot of it is you got to understand who you are, and you have to be authentic. And you got to be true to yourself for interactions with other people. Right. That's a great point. I do agree that sometimes people... For whatever reason, maybe you're trying to put on a show or something and you try to be more than you are or try to be an expert in something that you're not or one way or the other. But a lot of times I found that the client just builds a relationship with you. If you're honest with them and like Dave said, if you're delivering for them, you're giving them value, they're going to like you. I mean, they're going to like who you are and you should be that person. So you don't remember like a specific course or nothing. I always try to give engineers something they can do to build a skill, but I know it's hard. I mean, I recommend Toastmasters a lot as far as speaking and public speaking, but how about with your staff? Well, well, just on that note, yeah. I, w- I would say this, you know, with regard to public speaking, you should behooves everybody to do it as much as you can. I don't mean to be ridiculous about it, but the human nature, most of us anyhow, yeah. want to avoid it. So. You just got to do it, you know, and the more you do it, the easier it becomes, the more comfortable you get. And I think no matter how often you do it, you're still nervous when you have to do it. That's just part of the process, you know. So if you're not nervous, it's not natural. (laughs) Yeah, uh, that's true. I mean, you got to push yourself beyond your comfort zone because that's the only way you're going to grow. Yeah. So do it. Do it a lot. Do it. Do it as much as you can. Can you tell us about a memorable success that you had in your career? Could be you or the firm, whether it was a project or something with a client or something that really stood out for you that you're proud of? You know, I'll answer this, but this is not going to be what you're looking for because it's more recent. Okay. We've had a lot of projects where we've won awards and, uh, you know, I could go back to the first project I worked on at one of the ASC civil engineering award in the state competition. And, uh, it was the restoration of a dam project for New Jersey Transit. And wow, that was a really big deal, you know, at the time. But more recently, two years ago, we were asked to do a charitable fundraiser for Daytop, which uh, takes care of kids in high school who have uh, addiction issues. Okay. And I remember I was asked by Les Smith, who uh, was running the Rockefeller Group at the time, to do it. And I respect Les a lot. I didn't know too much about it. And I really hesitated because I would call it rehab, but it's not solely a rehab facility. It's a facility where they they actually take kids in. They go to high school while they're there. They have accredited courses. Right. You know, there's a stigma about it. I was really reluctant to do it. And we wound up, I agreed to do it. I got to understand the program better. I got to understand the opioid crisis in this country a whole lot better than I had. We were fortunate. We had just moved into our space, so we had a lot of vendors working for us at the time. And at the time, and we raised over eight hundred thousand dollars, which uh, blew away all prior records. And um, I felt pretty good because the prior uh, honorees were 
Woody Johnson, who owns the New York Jets, sure. and Governor Christie. And when, in fact, it was funny, when Les Smith called me up, I said, you must have the wrong guy. <laughs> I'm just some schmuck-ass civil engineer, you know? But uh, the point is, is that, you know, when we came back to work after the big fundraising dinner, I cannot tell you how many people in my organization came up and said they felt so good about being part of Lang and after seeing what we had done wow. that night because they knew somebody or they had a family member or, you know, this addiction issue is just such a big no, issue I mean, and it crosses all boundaries. And that, you know, that to me was a big success for the firm, a big, big positive, you yeah. know, on the people side. Sure. That's Sorry, great. I know you wanted to tell No, I, I think that's great. I try to tell civil engineers that I think civil engineers, we need to be part of our communities because, I mean, we build the communities, we design them. So when you get to know people and you can help people in the community, I feel like it really connects us to, I think it's important. So I yeah. think that's great. Yeah. I think the other thing is just watching some guys. Look, I'm, I'm going to be 60 next year, right? So we have the next generation of leadership starting to come up within the firm. Right. And watching some of these guys and gals grow is just spectacular. You know, seeing them grow their careers, seeing them develop a real strong book of business. I mentioned we're doing a lot of work for a major... Uh, Online retailer. <laughs> Online retailer all over the country. And seeing them develop their leadership skills is really, really re rewarding. And I feel like super confident about our next generation here. You know, I think we got a really strong bench. And just watching that happen right. and helping them to make it happen sure. is really rewarding. All right, so now let me take this to the flip side because even the best baseball players in the world only get a hit three out of ten times. So there must have been a time where you might have messed up or something went wrong. Can you think of one and can you think of maybe how you learned from it, whether it was you individually or? I would probably, you know, talk about lessons learned. I'd probably say this, you know, I became CEO in, well, president in 2004, CEO in 2005. And we had, uh, just so you understand the growth, in 2003, I think we hit 50 million in revenues for our first time ever. And we were like, wow, 50 million. Yeah. We're a real company. We're no longer a slow start. Like three years later or four years later, we hit 100 million. Wow. And so we were on this growth terror that was incredible. And everybody was. I mean, you know, 06, 07, 08, it was just like a rocket ship. So here I am as CEO and we're growing like crazy and we're hiring and we're, clients are loving us and business is great. And then boom, the Great Recession comes and knocks everybody yeah. on our ass. And suddenly we were in this crisis mode and, uh, you know, what do you do? And uh, I learned more in those 18 months than I learned in the prior four years because, you know, now you're, look, it's growth has its challenges. Sure. So you learn some stuff as you're growing, but when you hit a wall like that, you learn a lot real fast about how to keep this thing together and uh, keep things afloat. And there were a lot of companies that just got totally slaughtered. One of the lessons was I looked back on the growth in 06, 07, 08. I thought, you know, we probably should have controlled that more and we probably should have been even more a bit selective about the people we were hiring talent in the industry was so thin and the growth was still like double digit growth. And I think Langen and I think just about every other firm that was out there, you know, just was needed help, needed help. Yeah. And I think we might have lowered that bar a little bit at the time. Now that didn't get us in any big problems 
with regard to product, but I think that it could have. And, you know, so now I'm a lot more wary about periods of rapid growth. I don't want to grow as fast as the economy lets me grow. I want to make sure that we're growing as fast as we can get super qualified people. Great. Well, that's a great lesson to take out of that time. It's an easy one to forget if you're not careful. Sure. I would like Langen to be good enough where we could choose who our clients are. Yeah. (laughs) But that could get misinterpreted, so... No, no. I mean, it's... I think the point is, is that when you're out there taking whatever's out there for work and you're not being selective because you just want to get work, there could be, you know, ramifications. You could end up with, like you said, you could end up with employees that you don't necessarily want that don't fit the culture of the company just because you needed people. Right. And you might end up doing work that isn't your kind of work, the best work for you to do. Like you said before, be authentic, right? So you also, I think, in your services and the work you do, I mean, I see this happen all the time. Engineering companies, because they want to get a bigger project with different services on it, they'll just try to do these other services. Like you said, they're landscaping, but they're not really they're landscape not architects. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that could be a mistake. So that certainly sounds like a valuable lesson. I talk to a lot of civil engineers, and if you ask them what the pinnacle or the goal in their career is, Nine times out of 10, they say they want to become a partner, an owner, and a firm. Would you say that, do you think that it's true that in order to do that, they have to be a great business development person? A lot of times we hear the term today, seller, doer. You know, we want engineers that can do the work and sell our company and bring in business. Yeah, I'll tell you here at Langen, that's not the case. We do have some owners who are pure sellers, and we do have some owners who are more doers, but the reality is the seller-doer will rise to a higher level of ownership simply because they're of greater value, you know, in the long run. Sure. A strong seller-doer. That has the greatest potential upside for sure. But again, you know, I go back to authenticity. So if your strong suit is doing, you know, I always say is sometimes I watch guys, right, that, oh, we got to entertain the client. We got to do this. We got to do that. You do have to develop relationships. But I always say, listen, the guy who paints my house He doesn't have to take me out golfing. He doesn't have to take me to the Yankees game. He doesn't have to take me to the Giants game. I want him to do a good job painting my house, damn it. Right. And so I always push down on people. Don't lose sight of what it's all about. I think relationships are important, but the most important thing is that your client looks at you as the trusted advisor. Sure. Right. Yeah. As their advocate, as someone I know who's going to give me the right advice, even if it means he's not going to be selling me work. That's the most important role you could rise to with that relationship. And I'm all for developing relationships before you're talking about how can we do some work for you. It's easier to hire someone who you already know than to hire someone who you never met before. Some people say, why are these people, you know, going out with so-and-so or or meeting with so-and-so, there's no work there. I'm like, well, you know, maybe there's going to be work there next year. Right. So, you know, I'm all for relationship building. But to me, relationship building is is mostly about helping those people succeed. Yeah. Not sending them gifts. Right. No, no, bringing value to them. Yeah. You know, I interviewed Will Schneer, who's the CEO of Big Red Dog Engineering and Consulting down in Austin, and I asked him some questions around business development, and he echoed what you just said. He said that he'll go to a meeting at a site with a someone who's not even a client, and he'll give them, you know, maybe $10,000 worth of advice in 10, 15 minutes, and 
some people think he's crazy, but he said a lot of times what happens is the client will say, if he's coming here giving me $10,000 worth of advice and I didn't even hire him yet, I can't imagine what his firm's going to do for me if I actually do hire them one day. So I think that's great uh, to add that value. It does sound, though, from what you were saying, and I agree with you, that the seller-doer can bring a lot of value if you can be that seller-doer, you can be a strong seller-doer. So what would you say is one valuable piece of advice that you could give to a striving seller-doer that does want to propel themselves to that level and affirm? Anything that they can do to be a good seller-doer? Again, I know some of this stuff is on the job, but... I would say, you know, don't lose sight of balance, the balance between your goals and the goals of the company. I've seen some strong seller doers get a little too focused on what's good for them rather than what's good for the company. That's a good point. And that can be a misstep. And I would say I encourage people to be interdependent rather than independent. Independence will get you so far, but interdependence will get you a lot further. So when you're working with a broader team, I've seen some people that are strong seller doers where, you know, it's all about them. It's got to be about them. They've got to be the face in front of the client. And the reality is if you have a team and you get your team out there and, and allow your team to take credit, you know, and allow your team to get that face time, you're going to go a whole lot further. It's this one, you know, premise I have about leadership. And to me, a true leader is not measured by the success that they create for themselves, but by the success that they create for the people around them. Yes. And that, to me, is the true measure. So, you know, don't tell me what you've done. Right. Show me what the people around you have done because you've been able to help them do that. So that being said, is there anything that you do here at Langen to help people with those seller-doer type of skills? Is there anything specific or do you send them out and let them meet people? Well, you know, we have, I would say a couple things. One is, you know, we do have some formal training along these lines where we bring people in, outside consultants who help with sort of the salesy part, the people interaction, the communication piece of it. So we do that at a higher level. I often will bring people with me to meetings just so they can observe. Oh, that's great. And they, they watch the dialogue, they watch the discussion, and they watch what's going on. Some of this is just the natural innate talent that people have. So when I see individuals in the organization who really seem to excel in that area, I make an attempt to really get them in front of clients more often and give them more responsibility because you can't make a middle linebacker out of a quarterback. You can't make a quarterback out of a middle linebacker. So I really do believe that while it's nice to work on all the strengths, you really have to understand where an individual's true strengths lie. And then you have to focus on that and you got to leverage that. I mean, I think that right there, what you just said is also a key characteristic of a strong leader is to be able to recognize when somebody has a talent and then help them to develop it. Because that's something like that could be easy to miss. I mean, if you're not paying attention, like you said, to your team, and you're focused on yourself or you're focused on other things, you can miss out on really developing one of these seller doers or a real superstar in your firm. So that's great. Let's talk a little bit about your position as a CEO. At what point in your career, if ever, did you have the goal of being CEO? That's a good question. You know, I couldn't tell you, I couldn't pinpoint it. I mean, I became the president effectively, you know, knew I was going to be the president CEO 2004, 2005. Yeah. I would say, you know, in the late nineties, I started to think about it pretty seriously. Okay. Was there a reason or just the position or the... Well, I don't know. I just uh, thought I could do a pretty good job of it. And I always felt like if there's somebody else who could do a better job than me, then they should be doing it. And look, I got some great partners. 
I'm not uh, saying that anything negative in any sense of the word, but I just felt like, to me, it, it's a combination of, you know, you got to be decisive, you got to be strong, you got to be able to lead a room of other strong egos, sure. uh, you know, and look, any executive team is a room full of big egos, right? Yeah. You got to be respectful of them. You got to be able to develop consensus. You have to be able to make hard decisions when the time comes. And I didn't know all that at the time, but I've learned over the years that I have the ability to do that. So far, I mean, things seem to have worked out. I mean, <laughs> when I took over, we were 250 people. Now we're north of 1,000. Wow. So That's... I guess I'm, I'm doing something right. However, I'd be a fool to suggest that it's, it's all my doing. I sure. have an incredibly talented team of executives who will all make it happen. It's like I said before, I learned a long time ago that this firm and everybody here will go a lot further on the premise of interdependence sure. yeah. than the premise of independent. So you try to keep your ego in check and understand the value that other people bring. That's a great answer. And what I would say to you is if someone asked you if you could kind of like summarize your job description as the CEO in a sentence or two? Is there something that stands out for you that you come every day and you say, with everything going on for me, the main thing that I need to do is this? That's a hard one to answer because I think it really is. It changes so much. Yeah. You have to constantly be dealing with a changing environment in your company. And sometimes you have to focus on people issues in your company. Sometimes you got to focus on client issues. Sometimes you got to focus on just hardcore business issues. I will tell you, I am a a big fan of accountability. We drive collaboration a lot here at Langen, but I want to make sure that the collaboration is driving results and not just, oh, I'm collaborating and nothing's getting done. Okay. So, and I'm also a believer, and I've always been this way, that, you know, if you can run an operation that does well financially, a lot of the other stuff takes care of itself, just takes care of itself, which means people are working hard, they're busy. When people aren't working hard and they're not busy, they start to look around and complain right. and get bored and like the one driver um, that drives a lot of good yeah. things. And I would say Langen is, is kind of recognized as what I would characterize as a high-performance culture. It's, you know, I used to say, hey, if you want to work here, put on your running shoes yeah. because <laughs> we're not walking, baby. We're running. <laughs> but that's good because it carries throughout the entire culture. Right. To summarize my role in a couple of sentences, I think is just incredibly difficult. In fact, I even think the role of a CEO from year to year changes. This year, we really have to be thinking about strategic planning because it's just we haven't given it the thought, the energy, the resources, whatever that we've given it. And we really have to get this stuff identified, budget for it, implemented, right. follow up, measure it. And who knows? I mean, next year it could be a lull in the economy. Next year it could be a boom in the economy. Right. And, you know, it's interesting, too. I'll give you an example. After... The recession of 2000, late 2008, 2009, 2010, a lot of my partners were saying, okay, you know, economy's picking up, we have to rebuild. And my thought at that time was, no, we're not going to rebuild. We have to reshape because business uh -huh. in 2012 and 2013, 2014 is going to be very, very different than it was in 06, 07, 08. That's interesting. And we were, I would characterize us as a prior to the recession, Northeastern, company that worked for real estate developers and also did some environmental remediation. Now we're nationwide. We've really diversified dramatically. You're working for uh, the biggest companies we, in the world. We do a lot more institutional work. We do, you know, healthcare, higher ed. We're doing embassies all over the world wow. out of our Arlington office, which didn't exist back then. It really is a different practice with regard to where we are 
and even what we do. It's evolving. It's definitely yeah. evolving. What's your favorite part of being CEO? I would say uh, it's kind of, uh, you know, year end when, uh, because we, we just had our sixth best year ever for the sixth consecutive year. Oh, wow. So uh, it kind of reminds me of when you were in school and you'd get your report card, yeah. you know, you put in all that effort. And then you'd get that A and it'd be like, all right, I got that A, you know. It's just kind of nice. You know, you take a breather and granted, you take a breather for only maybe three or five days. Yeah, and then, yeah. you know, you're, you're getting geared up about next year. But uh, I always find year end to be a great time. Our model here at Langen is, is that we pay people fair and commensurate salaries. But when a company does well, we pay bonuses that are far beyond bonuses that get that the industry pays out there. Far beyond. That's, that's I mean, great. so it's a so we're able to really reward some people, and then you know a lot of people are taking some time off with their families. So it's it's just a good nexus of a lot of good stuff happening. You know, over the Christmas holidays or the year end holidays, it's just a good time of year. You know, yeah. you're able to say here, thank you. Here, right. Sure. Here. Well, you said you at Langen, you're going to be running, putting your running shoes on. So it's nice that the firm is then going to say thanks for running. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then the other thing I should mention is we do this March Managers Forum every March where we bring people in from all our offices at a project level and above. And there's over 300 people that come to this thing. Wow. And we do a Friday night social with big dinner. We bring in entertainment and everything else. And then on Saturday, you know, I give this state of the company address, hmm. which just brings everybody up to speed about what has happened and what's going to happen. And then we have a, a full day of programs. You know, they're like 20 minutes to 40 minutes per program. We have a keynote speaker come in. And wow. typically it's done at a local hotel. Quick story. Last year, I couldn't believe it. We actually had multiple fire alarms go off in the middle of the night, which made it really hard for people to wake <laughs> up the next day. And uh, especially the guys that we get people who, you know, are up really late on Friday because there's our official party and then there's this after party where everybody goes out and has fun and, you know, so then you had two fire alarms and it's like, oh my God, it's going to be a disaster. People are going to be sleeping. Yet I was really impressed with how resilient our folks were after having stayed up late partying and then being woken twice with fire alarms. They they came up to the session on Saturday and just, they were energetic. They got past it. No one was complaining. It was really, really great. That's great. What is your least favorite part about being CEO? That's a good question, too. It's least favorite, but sometimes in the end, it's it's rewarding. When you have really, really hard people situations, whether that's sometimes there are termination situations. Sure. Sometimes it's just people within the organization not getting along at, you know, sure. whatever level. You get to know a lot about everybody in the organization. So, you know, instead of having a family of 15 or 25 people, you know, yourself, your parents, your cousins or whatever, you have this family of thousands of people. You have a thousand employees. They all have a spouse. They all have kids. You see more and more of the difficulties that some people have to deal with with regard to health issues, whether it's them or their spouse or their children that's really, yeah. no, that's, that's it's really hard. I mean, it's really, part, really yeah. hard, you know, and you become aware of a lot of it because you know what's going on, you know, with the company. And um, it's just really, really hard. But I do feel really good about how supportive our people are of fellow employees and fellow families. I know they get a lot of support. It's hard, man. I'll tell you, seeing, a, you know, a lot of situations. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's how can we help? And sometimes you can help. Sometimes you can't help. That is hands down the toughest.
All right, so again, we're here with Dave Jockel, CEO of Langen Engineering and Environmental Services. We're going to take a quick break and come back and wrap up with our hot seat segment. Just a few last questions for Dave. Civil Engineering Podcast. Civil Engineering Podcast. I hope you're enjoying the interview with Dave Gockel. It's now time for a CE Hot Seat segment where I'll pepper Dave with a few more questions. And this segment in today's episode is brought to you by our sponsor, PPI. One of the biggest pieces of advice I can provide to engineers is to get your professional license as early as possible. It's a practical way to advance your career, earn more money, and set yourself apart. To learn more about the exams, including invaluable exam tips, check out PPI's resource centers for the FE and PE exam. It's a one-stop hub for all the information you need to register, prepare for, and ultimately pass your exam. Visit ppitopass.com forward slash resources to learn more. Again, that's ppi, the number two, pass.com forward slash resources. And if you need exam prep materials, use promo code TECH on PPI's website for an exclusive 20% discount. Again, that's the promo code T-E-C-C, stands for the Engineering Career Coach, TECH. All right, we're back here with Dave Gockel, CEO of Langen Engineering and Environmental Services. We're here for our CE Hot Seat segment where we ask a few final questions of our guests. All right, Dave, first question here is, is there a habit that you have every day routinely, whether it's you have meetings at a certain time or you do certain things that help contribute to your success? Anything that stands out? Nothing specifically. I mean, the, the only thing I would say is, is that despite the fact that we have Outlook and everything like that, and we have everything on a calendar and manage it, I, I still love making lists. I love making lists and crossing stuff off. Okay. That's I'm that really effective when I do that, I, man. I do that. I'm just... <laughs> It works for me. Right. You no, know, handwritten list. Handwritten list. All right. Hey, that works. Is there a book that you've read that you remember that has helped you tremendously or a book that you might recommend to engineers on a regular basis to your staff? Anything that stands out? I know that there's tons of books out there, but... Built to Last and Good to Great. Okay. Built to Last right? and Good to Great. Jim okay. Collins. Yeah. Okay. I think that should be required reading for anybody, not just in engineering, but also you know in any business that you're in. All right, last question here, Dave. You're in the elevator and the door opens and a, a civil engineer, motivated, aggressive civil engineer gets in the elevator and says, oh, you know, Mr. Jockel, it's great to see you here. I, I wonder if you could give me 30 seconds of advice before we get off the elevator. I want to become that partner, owner. I want to rise to the top of my firm. What would you tell them in 30 seconds? Wow. <laughs> I would tell them work really, really hard, harder than you think. Work really, really hard and be authentic yourself. Don't try to be somebody who you're not. And I think if you do both of those things, opportunities will come your way and success will come your way. Dave, thank you for giving us some time on the Civil Engineering Podcast. I know you're busy and we really appreciate it and appreciate sharing kind of your years of experience here with thousands of civil engineers and I'm sure that they're going to be able to benefit from it. So thank you. Wonderful. Thank you, Anthony. All right, remember, you can find the show notes for this episode at civilengineeringpodcast.com where you'll find a written summary of the conversation Dave and I just had, and we will link to any of the resources, websites, books that we mentioned. And remember, you can do it. Dave, just give you the advice of certain things you can do to become better in your profession and add value for your clients. And we're going to continue to try to help you do that. So until the next time, I wish you all the best in your civil engineering career endeavors. 
Thank you for listening to the Civil Engineering Podcast. Be sure to visit civilengineeringpodcast.com where you can listen to past episodes and also submit your project to be featured on the show. We also invite you to visit our main website at engineeringcareercoach.com and download a free three-part video series created specifically for engineers to help you best utilize LinkedIn for networking, improve your communication and speaking skills, and also help to develop your leadership abilities. Now is the time to engineer your own success.